Scripture tells us to not neglect the gathering of the saints. For too long, many of our churches have been shuttered and our gatherings curtailed. During this Lenten season, it is time to beautify our sacred spaces and return to our traditions. Ad Crucem is having a sale on our church banners. For the month of March, our banner prices will be reduced by up to 30%. Visit adcrucem.com to take advantage of this incredible pricing. That's A-D-C-R-U-C-E-M dot com. Hey ladies, just a heads up. In this episode, we talk about alcohol and some of the issues that overconsumption can create. Alcohol use disorder, alcoholism, and substance abuse become a key part of this discussion, especially near the end of the episode. We just want you to know, if you are shackled by addiction, let the chains fall. Jesus took your pain and struggles to the cross, and you are loved and forgiven. There is hope and help for you on this earth until we await Christ's return. To speak to someone right away about problem drinking, call the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration hotline at one 800 Listening to the Lutheran Ladies Lounge podcast. I'm Sarah. I'm Erin. I'm Bree. And I'm Rachel. We are recording from our home studios due to the uh, wonderful ice that St. Louis gave us yesterday. It's good. It's all. It's all fine. We're kind of used to this. It'll be 65 degrees on Sunday. By the way, <laughs> yes, it will. <laughs> so, <laughs> welcome yeah. to pre-spring in St. Louis. Mm. But anyway, we have a wild card on deck today, and this is. This is going to be an interesting one. So, Brie, I'm, I'm not going to say anymore. Brie, take it away. <laughs> so, you know, I like to keep it light and talk about fun stuff generally. But if you know what you're getting into today, it's you're going to pro- it's going to be a little challenging. Maybe feel some feels. We are going to be talking today about the complicated relationship, the seemingly complicated relationship between Lutherans and alcohol. So the idea of talking about this topic came to me, actually, it would have been during Matt's second year of seminary. And prior to going on Vicarage, you have to sit through these sessions with Dr. Gwen Nielsen at the seminary in St. Louis. And one of the one of the things that he really wanted to drive home to the future vicars and their families is just be aware of the the way that you conduct yourself in public, what your behaviors are, what you say on social media. And one of the things that he did mention specifically was about how you sort of showcase your drinking habits on like social media or at church events or whatever. And so I kind of wanted to dive into whether it was maybe a larger not issue necessarily, but if if people are kind of curious about the same issue in the church at large. Now, I am not a practitioner of substance abuse rehabilitation. Um, we are going to probably be touching a little bit on alcoholism and alcohol use disorder. I'm not an expert. I'm not a medical professional. A lot of what I'm, what any of us are going to be saying today is based upon personal observation and as well as some data that I gathered 
on Instagram in a very unscientific way, but it's all it's all firsthand anecdotes and accounts. And so that surely stands for something. It was an overwhelming response to the prompts that I was looking for. So I have to think that given the variety of responses that we got on those questions, it is a bigger it's a bigger issue than some of us might think. So we'll just we'll just get we'll just get into it. Let's just get into it. I'm so uncomfortable right now. Let me just also a disclaimer, like secondary disclaimer, like I. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, this is it's a big topic. Yeah, but it really know, is. can be kind of touchy. But I'm glad we're covering it. Yes, absolutely. You can do it, Brie. Thank you. Thanks. (laughs) So I guess what I really, what I want to kick it off as in in this episode, just to go around the room here and talk about, do you drink? Is it something that you enjoy doing it? Do do you have a hobby of of like homebrew or whatever? Like what is, what are your experiences with alcohol? Okay, I'll start first because I do not drink. (laughs) (laughs) less of that is my choice uh, consciously and more of that is just because my body no longer tolerates it because of my chronic illness and it actually makes me very sad. Before I was diagnosed in what 2018 before we moved to St. Louis uh, my husband and I really enjoyed going to like the microbrew review Mm -hmm. that was in Oak Park Illinois huge beer festival it was super fun. Like you could try all these beers. We were starting to get into hard liquor before I couldn't drink it anymore. So there was there was this period of grief of not being able to do it anymore, which is also kind of a weird thing, like to miss drinking alcohol, you know, that that weird relationship. Yeah. But I no longer drink and it's been fine. Like nothing is nothing bad has happened. <laughs> like it's just weird going to going to functions mm-hmm. where you're expected to like have a drink in your hand and then you have to think through well what am I going to do so I'm not like the only one that only has water so like it's there's a weird thing you have to go through and I just want to say for all all of you fellow ladies out there (laughs) who don't drink and are not pregnant like there's this whole thing (laughs) that if you're a female of a certain age and you tell people you don't drink a lot of people assume that you must be pregnant and let's just say go straight to your abdomen it's like out of my face (laughs) Like that is there are many reasons why people choose not to drink. Okay, (laughs) that is just a sore spot for me. However, I'm also really happy with this whole like sober movement that's been happening. And I don't know if if COVID brought that out or if it's been going on. I'm not sure. But I started getting a lot of ads on my social media for these really fancy non-alcoholic hard liquors, which is it, it's this whole business now, which is really cool. So like there are I, pause, I appreciate pause. I'm sorry. They aren't hard liquors. They're like the opposite Not of hard liquors. Hard liquors. <laughs> Oxymoron. <laughs> Non-alcoholic I don't even know what they call them. Sp- spirit? Not spirits. I know what Drinks. you mean. Though. I don't yes. know. Yeah. 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 Not they're, they, they're, they're bougie not. beverages. Yes, they are. To bougie uh, beverages. Uh, 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 <laughs> there you go. Those, <laughs> Those are the words I'm yes. looking for. Yes. <laughs> they're, they're these like bases. It's like whiskey, but without the alcohol. So it's it's fascinating. Mm-hmm, yeah. And I, I appreciate that those things are now becoming more mainstream and more cool for people who either can't drink or choose not to drink. I really appreciate that. So that's my story. This is why I drink coffee. <laughs> well, my story, if you'd asked me for my story a year ago, it would not have sounded at all like Sarah's, but it's funny how a year can change things that I have long been someone who really enjoyed drinking. I love 
good German beer. I mm. love a nice dry martini with lots of olives. Mm. I love a glass <laughs> of chilled Pinot Grigio and champagne on my anniversary. And it, it's just, it's been a wonderful part of my life. I ended up, I stopped drinking temporarily last spring when my husband was deployed because a wise person once told me, never drink when you're sad. And I was sad mm. a lot. And so I, re I realized I need to probably cut back until he gets back. And so that I gave up temporarily and then proceeded late last summer to develop a stomach condition that made drinking alcohol not only unpleasant, but inadvisable. Um, mm. And I'm I'm recovering from that nicely. But as a result, I've I've been completely sober for many months now. And, you know, given that my stomach continues to be delicate. I am choosing not to not to resume my drinking aside from the occasional sip of of Ken's beer. But it, it has been a, a wonderful, a wonderful part of my life. I remember enjoying a glass of Pendleton whiskey at you know, after <laughs> after my mother in law's funeral last Aww. summer with the family, everyone sitting around in a cool evening outside in lawn chairs trading stories and you know, it's, it's so many wonderful memories, and I'm I'm very glad that that Lutheran theology has never been teetotaling. Um, yeah, that always as part of our part of our, our teaching has been this is an area of for Christian liberty because there's so much, you know, so many. I became acquainted a few years ago when I was working in publishing with a a German theologian slash winemaker. <laughs> <laughs> ah. named Gisela Kreglinger, and she's written two books, The Spirituality of Wine and the Soul of Wine, in which she explores, you know, some of the, the biblical theology of wine. And, and the, the images from the Bible are just beautiful. Right? Think mm -hmm. of, you know, in Isaiah, on this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well-refined. And it's just, a, it's a beautiful vision. And yet I realize that at the same time, I don't need it. I don't need it to be happy. I'm I'm doing just fine without it. <laughs> um, and, and I recognize that it is it is a problem for a lot of people and one that we don't want to be a stumbling block. So I'm really looking forward to the rest yeah. of this conversation because I have been I've been all over everywhere on this question, but <laughs> it's been a good journey and God is good. Well, I like drinking. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers, sister. So, yeah, I I enjoy it. I enjoy the, the taste of it and and so forth. I've always, probably not always, but fairly early on in my drinking experience, I determined that I did not care for the feeling of out of control if I drank too much. And so I yeah. very quickly yep. determined what what those limits are and found it easiest to keep track of where I was at when I drink cocktails because it's pretty much a one or two deal and that's it. Mm -hmm. There's no trying to no no more <laughs> keeping track beyond that. So that's easy to count. I enjoy having cocktails. I like it's sort of a creative cooking side mm. deal. I like yeah. making them at home. At home I will drink one drink. I I don't have multiple drinks when I'm drinking at home. If I ever have multiple drinks, it's because I'm out with friends. And that's sort of, again, one of the limits I've placed on myself. 
I drink on the weekends. I don't drink during the week unless I'm gone out to on a special occasion celebrating with somebody. I don't like to drink to celebrate by myself. Like Rachel, a wise person, once suggested that like giving yourself excuses to drink is a is a is a quick quick road down a path you don't want to <laughs> shortcut to a path yeah. you don't want to take. And so I, I don't do that. If I have a hard day at work, I'm not like, oh, I'm going to earn my I've I've earned drink tonight. That isn't a strategy that I've taken for stress management or anything like that. And part of that is probably because I live alone. And so I mm, feel like yeah. I don't have it would be easy to talk myself into things. And so instead, I just take them off the table. We'll leave that there. <laughs> as far as that might apply out of that. But in my case, because I live alone, I find it easier to moderate things by putting pretty clear boundaries around it. But that said, I really do like it. I enjoy mm-hmm. I enjoy experimenting with things. Uh, I have a I have a large liquor cabinet full of all sorts of different things and I have fun with that. So, yeah. Very cool. What are you currently making right now? Oh yeah, currently I'm like it's <laughs> it's resting. It's going to be resting for many months yet. But it's my it's my LWML nocino <laughs> that I from my these walnuts that I foraged while I was at the last LWML convention in Lexington and brought them back and I have I have a couple of bottles sitting waiting to be less assertive of right now they're very <laughs> assertive <laughs> so we'll see next winter how they how they turn out very cool. That's so cool. What about so, you, Bree? Yeah. So yeah, I guess it's, we run a gamut here. I'm I'm supposing I don't drink often. When I do, I I'm a lightweight. It maybe takes one drink for me to just be done, and that's always that's always helpful because then I'm not making a total fool of myself in an evening out with friends. But generally, like. Alcohol tastes gross to me in a lot of contexts. <laughs> so, like, it is kind of weird when you're like out to a fancy dinner and everyone's drinking like wine and fancy frou frou alcoholic beverages. And I'm just like, can I have a Diet Coke, please? Like, it just, <laughs> you feel, you know, you feel kind of juvenile. But I'll tell you what saved my self dignity. Self-dignity, that's not even a phrase. But save my dignity. <laughs> Club soda with lime. It yeah. looks yes. like a cocktail, but it doesn't. But now I can't drink much bubbly stuff either. So I'm out of, out of options again. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I, I get what you're saying. Yeah. And and now you're seeing, especially in in restaurants, like all the hot spots and everything, like they're starting to craft menus of like mocktails. Mm-hmm. And so... yeah. Mm-hmm. That's been really cool to see, too, kind of what like what Sarah was saying in my outside of my own personal drinking habits, if you can call it that. um, (laughs) I know a good many Lutherans who enjoy drinking recreationally. My husband, for example, loves visiting uh, the different microbreweries in St. Louis. So there's like a million of those around here. He enjoys trying new things. He has this social media app called untapped hmm. u-n-t-a-p-p apostrophe d hmm. <laughs> what will they think of next where you log in and, and it's like this giant database of microbrews, and you like check in and say i'm at this brewery drinking this one thing 
So there's sort of there's sort of a a culture surrounding beer drinking, not necessarily Lutheran, but but there is is sort of an aspect of that outside of like posting a picture of the beverage that you're drinking to Instagram or Facebook, for example. Now, based upon feedback from folks, like it tends to be a bigger deal than some might realize. And one of the things that was sort of a refrain throughout the research that came to me is that, oh, this is this is just a part of our German Lutheran culture. This is our heritage. This is what we do. And the more I hear that, like, I, I don't know, I'm kind of skeptical that, like, that's the reason we do these things. We don't we don't have to drink alcohol because we're German Lutherans. You know, you hear you hear, hear terminology and phrases like Lutheran lemonade is sort of the, the <laughs> way that we refer to beer. Some people, you know, will quote Martin Luther, who once said, whoever drinks beer, he is quick to sleep. Whoever sleeps long does not sin. Whoever does not sin enters heaven. Thus, let us drink beer. I think that's apocryphal, but is it? <laughs> it, it is in keeping. It, it might it might not be, but it, it's in keeping with his character for sure. I thought he said uh, beer is a sign that God loves us and wants us to be happy. That's the one. Yeah. But, but yeah. Um, ben Franklin. People say Ben Franklin said that, but that also is a misattribution. Nobody yeah. knows who said it. Well, all right. Whatever. Hmm. It's fine. And I think. Sometimes, as Lutherans, we sometimes wave the badge, uh, you know, wave the whole grace thing as a badge of honor in the face of our, in the face of our brethren and and our brothers and sisters who, by faith tradition, don't drink, you know, because we, yeah, we believe in grace and we, this is our freedom and we can do this. Beyond that, you can search the scriptures and I don't think you'll find hard evidence that drinking in moderation is a sin. It isn't. Jesus drank. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yep. Right. (laughs) So I think we've got to be careful when we talk about this. You know, obviously drinking to excess Mm -hmm. is a problem. Yes. But when we are talking about, you know, alcohol and the way we we talk and think about it, it is not a sin. Right. You know, it's it's a good it's a good gift. And like all good gifts can be abused. Sure. Of course. Of course. And, you know, as we dive a little bit deeper into this, too, um, another facet is that the LCMS is not monolithic. It frankly no. shouldn't be. You know, even like on an individual level and a congregational level, even like we bring different norms and different experiences and different cultures to the table. And so I think there's a variety of factors that influence these answers. So if this podcast is completely unrelatable to you or your personal experience in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, That's okay. Like Mm -hmm. That's fine. Don't worry about it. So, for example, one of the first questions that I I, I posted on Instagram was, does your church serve alcohol at special events? Now, of course, I do want to say when we talk about alcohol and drinking, this is solely in the realm of recreational drinking. We are not talking about the sacrament here in any way, shape, Mm -hmm. or form. Mm -hmm. But in my personal experience growing up, I never, I never recall a time where our church served alcohol at events on campus. I have since been to churches where that is an acceptable practice. 
But based upon respondents, about 33% reported that their church serves alcohol at any of its social functions or events. So I guess I would be interested to hear about your all's, your all's, your all's. (laughs) Wow. Like, what has your experience been? I know, Rachel, you've been to a number of churches just by virtue of your vocation. Um, Like what? And you too, Erin, as a as a PK growing up, probably not imbibing at those in those experiences. But what what have your experiences been? So my my current church, Messiah, serves alcohol at our annual Oktoberfest, and if there's leftover, then perhaps at a you know periodic events that that follow it until the leftovers have been used up and and the alcohol they serve in those cases is is beer at other churches that I've been to honestly I don't I don't remember which makes okay. me think they didn't because I feel like I would have noticed it but it's also possible that you know churches when I was a kid had it and I just didn't pay attention since I was a kid but it doesn't mm-hmm. stand out in my mind right um, somehow this one stood out in my mind I feel like I noticed it I was surprised when we're like, we're going to have beer. I'm like, oh, wow. Um. (laughs) So, yeah, Rachel. I Yeah, you're right. I have been to a lot of different churches. I'm not going to count them right now, but it's been it's been a few. Um, (laughs) And I've only been at two that served alcohol. Oh, well, one that did it officially. And even then it was not in the church building it was at the picnic pavilion at the church picnic once a year they would they would serve beer another church that i was associated with they had this was before my time so it was just in the realm of myth when i when i got there but there was apparently a small portion of church property that was leased by the utility company and it was on <laughs> that little piece of ground that the fellows <laughs> would keep their cooler during the like bar- chicken chicken barbecue. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so, you know, there was a lot of ambivalence. Even people yeah. who had no trouble whatsoever, you know, drinking at home, drinking out with friends, even church friends, you know, that this feeling seemed to be in most of the churches we've been in, that it just doesn't belong in the church. Mm-hmm. And again, this is with people who are very comfortable with alcohol. Yep. I'm just reminded now of a, of a story once that when my son was about two, we were working in our yard and the uh, head trustee from the congregation, where Ken was the pastor at the time, came over just to stop and chat about something. We live really close to the church. And my two-year-old son looked at him and said, would you like a beer? (laughs) Because he had had seen that this is how, you know, we offered hospitality to people who just showed up. But that was an eye-opening experience for me to realize that he saw this and there was no beer exchange hands, but but the uh, trustee was tickled that he had been offered. <laughs> that is pretty funny, though. <laughs> but yeah, by and large, my experience in Lutheran churches has been just about everybody either drinks or is very comfortable with drinking, but mm-hmm. not on church property. Right. Hmm. Which is uh, I don't I don't know why that is, but it just is. So we're we're on the opposite end of that. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I've been a member of three churches in my lifetime. I don't remember at my childhood church if they served alcohol. I don't think so. But again, I was underage 
until I left. So I don't remember. The church I was a member at in Chicago would serve at, like at Oktoberfest when it makes sense. Um, we'd also do like champagne toasts for Epiphany, I believe, with a king cake and champagne. That was super fun. And then at my current church, we ha- we have no shame serving alcohol <laughs> at pretty much any gathering where adults are present. There will be alcohol. We I don't know. It might be something about just being in St. Louis because there's what Budweiser is like half of the city. So and all of the microbreweries. So there are coolers of beer at our church picnic. There's always beer and wine at different functions. There's I mean, it's just kind of part of our church life. Yeah. If there's adults, there's probably going to be alcohol. There's some probably still in the fridge right now waiting to be drunk so it's it's just kind of part of our part of how we do things i think you know the more that i that i i think of this like i think it's less of the german influence and maybe more of the midwest influence maybe in terms of highly possible when stuff is or i think about like how many lutheran how many youth groups do a trivia night at their at their church and it's byob and like it's that's that's totally acceptable, even if the church wouldn't otherwise serve alcohol at an, at an event. But I like things like that. That's a St. Louis that thing. Is, that is that just that is just a St. Louis thing right there. Well, and some of it also could be municipality based mm-hmm. because there are uh, cities and towns and counties that are dry counties, so you wouldn't be allowed to probably anyway and then there are weird. there are certain licenses involved with there food are, service that yep. you know right a church yeah. might not have the sort of legal clearance to serve right. alcohol right um in any official right. way mm-hmm. yeah so there could be those those reasons as well why it does or does not show up in certain places but yeah midwest culture <laughs> would not be a surprising oh. reason <laughs> <laughs> So I asked some questions on Instagram that were open-ended and I wanted to get people's opinions on different questions pertaining to the consumption of alcohol in the church, in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. And I have to say, and I'm just going to give a general overview because most of the answers were very much in, in accord with one another. And so I was I was very heartened to read that, you know, basically many of many of you are of the mind that, yes, we have the freedom to enjoy alcohol and alcoholic beverages are a gift from God. And we can be thankful to him for friends and family and the opportunity to enjoy fellowship with those in close. I almost said in close proximity. (laughs) Scrap that from the record. But sometimes that just goes that goes hand in hand sometimes with fellowship. And that's that's okay. But of the people that said that, I'm pretty sure almost everyone said, well, I don't I don't want to be a stumbling block. I enjoy alcohol, but I don't I don't want to cause my neighbor to sin. If that's what drinking alcohol around this person does, then I'm not I'm not going to do that. Um, And I imagine that that's maybe a reason why some churches at their events, abstain from that. In addition to the other conditions that we just discussed, municipalities and licenses and whatnot. Although, as much as people sort of took a middle of what I would call like a middle of the road approach, I also heard from some people who very strongly believe that 
there is truly a problem in the LCMS of churches serving alcohol and there can be excessive drinking elements to our cultures. I had one person say, I worry about how overconsumption in the LCMS is not seen as a big deal by many. I imagine this person is, was a student at a Concordia, maybe, because they said, I was especially shocked to see how many students and professors would be clearly drunk at campus events. And there's, there's other feedback, too, of like drinking to excess and this is a problem. And I'm surprised that we're not talking about it. Now, of course, we all bring our own experiences and, and baggage to this topic. But no one, no one did say, oh, yeah, churches should serve alcohol and you should drink it as much as possible. And it doesn't matter what I knew. <laughs> so I was relieved to not hear that at all. So thank you for that. So, yeah, I, I think depending on your experience in the church, sometimes you hear about the drinking to excess and you also sort of hear the the tongue in cheekness the Lutheran lemonade references, the, oh, it's a Lutheran event, so you know there's going to be beer there. And so one of the questions that I ask is, should we, should we be proud when people poke fun at Lutherans and, and, and their drinking tendencies? When I did ask this, I had quite a few people be like, that's not a thing. So that might just be my own personal experience. But others even still said it, it can be problematic to, to make jokes about things like that. We want to be known as the church that preaches and lives Christ crucified, not right. as the church that imbibes large quantities of beer. Correct. Right. And yet at the same time, it's all relative. Right. Because, you know, I don't think you would think of Lutherans being in the same class as what the stereotypical, say, Irish Catholic is. And yet I've known many lovely temperate <laughs> Irish Catholics. But, you know, I don't think that that's the first thing people think of when yeah. they think of Lutherans. I hope that it's not the first thing they think of. But if it is, then, yeah, let's let's maybe change the story there. Yeah. And I don't I don't know if th that's a predominant opinion of whether it's whether people are joking about it or, or are serious about it or not. I really don't think that's the case. I just know that in my personal experience, there's been sort of this cheeky reference periodically to Lutherans and drinking. I think it used yeah. to be more noticeable when so many other evangelical Protestants made not drinking a big part of their religious practice. Mm. But, you know, I, I think that that has changed a lot in recent decades that mm -hmm. won't, you're much less likely to hear the vehement anti-alcohol mm -hmm. uh, rhetoric coming out of, say, the Baptists, even mm. Methodists, who were traditionally very dry, mm -hmm. a lot of them, you know, drink socially. So it's, I think, as the contrast between Lutherans and, say, Baptists and Methodists has diminished, mm -hmm. you know, where, where Lutherans have always been very free about drinking, but not necessarily drinking to excess. And these other church branches used to be very, no, 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 not ever. But now mm -hmm. they're more, okay, well, we just don't drink to excess. Then it's less noticeable. We don't yeah. stand out as much for it. Sure. So that's a good thing. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I do kind of want to talk about stumbling blocks, though, because mm -hmm. I think that when people, when people react pretty strongly to questions like this, 
it's important to take their contexts into consideration. So the the one thing I think that struck me the most in the research that I was doing is that 77% of respondents to some of the data I was collecting knows somebody either in recovery from alcoholism who struggles with problem drinking and or abuses substances. I'm not sure how this tracks with national percentages, but I personally am in that 77%. I mean, that's over three quarters of the people who, who answered. I wouldn't be surprised if that tracks with national averages. But as someone who resides in that 77%, it is devastating to watch a loved one be wrecked by alcoholism. Like, it's just, it sucks having to, to be privy to that situation. And so mm-hmm. I can totally see why people who are who don't struggle with alcohol even so are very sensitive to the settings in which we interact as a church body and you know even martin luther who said let us drink beer also says this in luther's works 51 i have to give credit to pastor brian wolf mueller who wrote a blog post on martin luther's beer quotes i guess he talked about it quite often We'll put a link to that blog in the show notes, but something that that Martin Luther does say, even though that quote that I gave before tends to sing the praises of imbibing, also speaks about drinking to excess. He says, there is no moderation in these things. When there is a wedding or a dance, you always have to go to excess. Christmas and Pentecost mean nothing but beer. Christians should not walk around so I have never seen that word before in my life. Bedizened? Bedizened? <laughs> Guessing bedizened? Bedizened? Sure. So, I don't know, I guess just like drunk off their minds. That one hardly <laughs> knows whether one is looking at a man or a beast. We Christians ought to be examples. We Germans are especially swamped in this vice. So even no, Martin had some things to say about the whole German drinking thing. No, to, to whoever, whomever translated that portion of Luther's works, you had like a hundred different words for sloshed <laughs> to use. And you chose medizened. Come on. <laughs> Although that's a good one. I've not heard that one before. I'm, I, yeah, that's going in my Scrabble bag of tricks, I guess. <laughs> well, and his his wife was a broom brewer too yeah so like (laughs) a really good one right so like beer was a part of his daily existence right so but you're right it is it is a very common thing to either be or know somebody who is in recovery or who should be in recovery and just hasn't realized it yet Um, and having someone close to you who is in that position can completely change how all the rhetoric about alcohol sounds right it, you know mm-hmm. what sounds harmless before you are in that situation of having some someone close to you struggle in that way begins to sound a little harsh or discordant or just make you uncomfortable or cringe you know so i think it is a good thing to realize that this is such a common thing even though we don't talk about it like i won't say exactly which close friends and or family members are in that category because it's such a private journey and yet i think it's a good thing for us as Lutheran women to realize when we're talking about alcohol that probably three quarters of the people you talk to have been touched by this 
and to weigh your words and your actions carefully with that in mind. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, and I think the path into casual alcoholism can be very easy, Mm -hmm. um, especially with the last few years that we've had collectively as a culture. Uh, I think I read the statistic that like alcohol sales skyrocket. I don't know, it was like 60% or something after COVID started, like an insane amount more alcohol being purchased. And the way that we talk about enjoying alcohol can can affect people differently when they've had all of these experiences and and maybe aren't don't have the wise friends that are that are helping you Brie and Rachel uh, Rachel and Aaron um with with these wise words of of how to set healthy boundaries around it if we don't have those wise people in our lives and we're we're affected by the things that are happening to us that path into casually and slowly uh, devolving into into alcoholism can it can be devastating and you can, it can happen without you even realizing that it's happening. Yeah. Um, and, and that is something that's hard to watch friends kind of fall into because it, it, if it's an acceptable thing to just kind of drink all the time for whatever reason, that can be a hard thing to kind of pull, pull yourself or, or your friends out of. And of course, you know, when you, when you talk about conducting yourself around somebody who might be struggling with alcoholism, there is biblical basis for conducting yourself in a way that doesn't create a stumbling block from them for them. So I just want to read 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 8 through 13 to give us a little more additional context and guidance from St. Paul. Um, he writes, food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat and no better off if we do but take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, he will not be encouraged, if his conscience is weak, to eat food offered to idols. And so by your knowledge this weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died. Thus, sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. It's kind of that kind of kind of makes me reassess the way that I conduct myself around people. But what does that mean? So, I mean, does that mean that we should assume that someone might be struggling and therefore we are going to always refuse alcohol? Is that what that means? That's that's what it sounds like. Or does that mean that the onus is on, which it doesn't sound like this from the passage you were just reading, and so I'm not sure if it actually can translate across, but is the onus on the person who's struggling to make known their struggle and then you accommodate it? Or do you assume someone might be struggling and therefore, and so does that mean Christians everywhere uh, actually ought to be giving up alcohol lest they cause someone to stumble? What is how does that how does this play out in in reality? It's complicated, isn't Aaron, it? Aaron, you and your hard hitting <laughs> questions. <laughs> I didn't I didn't expect this. Actually, yes, I did. <laughs> you should have I expected did. this. <laughs> I did. <laughs> I know. I think a lot of it has to do with our relationships and who we're in relationship mm-hmm. with. And I mean, social media obviously throws a huge gamut in here that was not a thing in biblical times. Uh, there was no posting of alcohol on social media that would be seen around the world. Posting of the food of idols. <laughs> right. I mean, that is a... Can you imagine if social media was a thing back then? Um, no, please, so, no. So, I mean, I think 
knowing who you're in relationship with and how you're conducting yourself around those people who are your neighbors. I mean, that is that is all the more reason for us to be in the body of Christ, knowing each other, having relationships, having friendships and not like meddling in each other's business, mm-hmm. but but making a point to know when our friends are struggling mm-hmm. um, and to know how to conduct ourselves around those people. Should you feel terrible if you accidentally, you know, post something and, and someone starts struggling? No, I mean, I mean, it's it's you're not responsible for them in right. that way. And yet, at the same time, you're responsible to be compassionate. Right. Um, right. And so I think to to just be ready to be compassionate, mm-hmm. this doesn't mean like do all your drinking privately, stuff it under, as it has at times meant in American Christian history. Mm. Uh, <laughs> drink all you like in the privacy of your own family room. Mm. But that don't is not let the answer. Make sure that you sneak alcoholism. the empties out mm. afterwards. <laughs> not the answer. I was once at a at a party where the hostess asked that if we took any photos that we made sure everyone put their drinks like down below their waist before we took photos for the behind your head. Yeah, I mean the this we don't want that either, the hypocrisy. Right. Mm-hmm. And I, I think, love it. I think Sarah is right in that trying to get to know people and be ready. Not that you're gonna give up alcohol when you wouldn't otherwise. But if you're in a situation where you realize, oh, this is not the time and the place, don't mm-hmm. flaunt your Christian liberty in that case. Right. Have some compassion, mm-hmm. forbear for the other person's sake. Yeah, I, I think that context is key. Like, you're obviously not going to know if somebody is str- has, I mean, there are there are warning signs, and we will talk about that at the end here. But If I go to a gathering where I know my I I have a a loved one who I know struggles with alcoholism or is in recovery or whatever, I'm not going to be like, hey, mix me up a margarita. Let's go to town like that. I think part of it is exhibiting empathy and compassion when it's contextually appropriate. I also I wouldn't say if if. I approached someone that I didn't really know that well and said, hey, can I get you a beer? And they say, oh, no, thanks. Let's not ask them again if they want it. That that sometimes happens. Like, are you sure you don't? Are you sure you don't want? Yeah. Like, are you sure? Like, Mm -hmm. don't do that either. So I think I think part of the problem is there is so much shame and stigma surrounding addiction Mm-hmm. So if I was if I had an addiction of that kind, I'm not going to come out and be like, please don't drink alcohol around me, people. I have a problem. No. Mm-hmm. And that's not I mean, people who are far enough down the road of recovery, they ha- have been set free so that yeah. it, their sober sobriety doesn't depend on other people's abstinence. Right. Right. Um, so and that's a, that's a great thing for them. In addition to not necessarily flaunting the Christian liberty, like let's create spaces for our friends and family where they can feel comfortable coming out and saying, hey, I have a problem with this. What can can you help me? What can we do about this? Wouldn't it be wouldn't it be cool if, you know, speaking of stigma, if we talked about alcoholism a little bit more like we talked about diabetes? Hmm. Yep. Like if you offer someone a cupcake and they say, no, thanks, don't be insulted. And if they it wouldn't, they're free to say, no, thanks, I can't. I'm diabetic. Mm-hmm. You know, offer someone a beer. No, thanks. I can't. I'm in recovery. No shame. No muss. And then you know how to 
mm-hmm. interact. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's mm-hmm. that's that's a dream. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. It's not like you know when someone says I can't have a cupcake, I'm diabetic. Everyone always automatically assumes, oh, you great sinner, you. Right. No, right. it's just this is your <laughs> yeah. life. This is what you have to live with. Um, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, sure. that's just me daydreaming out loud. No, I think that that would be, and and alcoholism, alcohol use disorder, those are maybe just alcohol use disorder. I feel like those two terms are interchangeable, but they're in the DSM. So it it can be like things like therapy and counseling. And it's a mental condition that can be can be treated. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's a very that's a very apt way to describe yeah. that and how we approach people that struggle with addiction. Well, and I mean, going with with Rachel's analogy there, I think it'd be even more like the next level dream is that you don't actually have to be to the extreme of being diabetic or alcoholic to be able to have an acceptable excuse not to Mm -hmm. eat the cupcake or drink (laughs) the beer. Like you don't like to be able to have it be normal that no, it's (laughs) it's not a personal insult to you. I'm just not going to have that cupcake. (laughs) And, and, mm-hmm. and, you know, to to not have to have it be, oh, OK, you're you're an alcoholic. Well, then that is acceptable. But anything shy of that, you ought to be right. drinking this beer. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Everyone yes. is pregnant. Yes. 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 Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and as, as Christian, as Lutheran Christian hostesses, too, this is a lesson to us. Yeah. Just as we would try to make sure if we were hosting a mix of sweet teeth and diabetics that we had a, a range of options that were all mm-hmm. equally tasty. Mm-hmm. So too, when we are hosting, whether it's at church or at home or in some other setting, to be aware that there are people who enjoy alcohol and people who need to abstain from alcohol, either by personal choice or because of yeah. their you know condition. And to be to expect that, to be ready for that, to be compassionate towards that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah, hospitality. Yay! So I was going to say time to wrap up, which means we're going to be doing this for another 25 minutes. <laughs> Take with You're a w- woman of wisdom and discretion, <laughs> Brie. That's right. Learn, you learn by doing, right? That's right. So, again, even after all of this, if you're feeling the sting of the law because you drink in front of whoever you want, even if it's in, within moderation, like, I want to be clear. That what I'm saying today, what what any of us is saying today is not that, A, we should be holding the church at large for enabling alcoholism. That's not what I'm saying. If your church has its functions that serve beer and your Oktoberfests and your trivia nights and your church picnics, that's not the point of this podcast episode. I don't want anybody logging off here and being like, oh, snap. I got to go clear out my liquor cabinet. Like that's that's not the point of this either. Be safe, know your limits, moderate your intake, but be aware, know the signs of alcoholism. We'll have a link posted in the show notes that shares a few of the 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 symptoms or the warning signs of somebody who's struggling with alcohol use. The most pious, committed and involved member of your congregation could be suffering. Mm-hmm. And so, again, you may not know because of that shame and that stigma associated. And not to say that you should be going around trying to detect in your church like 
there's an alcoholic and there's an alcoholic and there's an alcoholic. And speaking from experience, the people closest to them may not know there's a problem. Right. Correct. Mm -hmm. Correct. Absolutely. So you're not you're not going to know where everybody is coming from. But, you know, be moderate, be respectful. Pray for anybody who's struggling with alcoholism, whether it's it's the person themselves who is seeking sobriety, the person who doesn't think they have a problem. Heck, even the the friends and family members who have to sort of help this person on the road to recovery, like people like that, even pray for them, because this is a very it can be a very emotionally draining vocation. Realize that fellowship doesn't require recreational drinking. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yep. Don't assume that every adult around you can drink, should drink or wants to drink. And don't. Like I said before, don't force the issue. Like, that's let their no be no. And if you are with somebody who is open about their struggles with alcohol consumption, even if they're in a place where they are in recovery and Rachel, kind of like you were describing there, they are liberated from this burden. Don't drink. Just just don't do it. Like, be like Paul and just put the meat away for once. Just one, just the one time. Like, that's <laughs> it's OK. You don't need to drink to have a good time. And like one one final thought here before you guys can can weigh in. If you listening think that you might have a problem with consuming alcohol or other substances, I just want to remind you that there is grace and there's forgiveness and there's help. Your pastor should be able to point you to any local Christian resources, therapy opportunities, the hotline for the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration will be posted in the show notes. And the American Addiction Center has a hotline for friends and family members of people who struggle with addiction. It's hard for you all too. And so don't be afraid to get help. And that's all I got. Well, I'm going to, I'll jump in here with a little bit of law. I don't know. Is it law? I don't know. It's that, as I started out the episode, alcohol is a good gift of God. Gladdens the heart of man, the uh, (laughs) (laughs) the Old Testament says. And yet, like any good gift, it can become too big of a thing in our lives. First first commandment tells us we should fear. Luther, Luther explains the first commandment. We should fear, love, and trust in God above all things. If you find that you are looking to alcohol for things that should only come from God, it's time to probably examine yourself. If you get home from work and your first thought is, what an awful day, I need a drink, when really the answer is, what an awful day, I need to go to the Lord in prayer about all this stuff, you know, that's that's human, that's natural, I've been there, <laughs> but alcohol should not take the place of God. That's my law. And my my gospel is alcohol doesn't have to. <laughs> God is good. And Jägermeister did not go to the cross for your sins. Correct. <laughs> right. I don't know. I'm running out of words. Okay, just stop there. <laughs> that was, I mean, that's just, it's it's so much law, but it's also liberation. Yeah. To know that you don't. That's why this is complicated, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But as another, as a wise friend once told me, this is a different wise from the first wise friend. Many wise <laughs> friends. Many. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm blessed. You don't need it. Mm. So there you go. Liberation. No, you don't need it. It's a, it's a gift. If you're able to enjoy it, 
great. But honestly, it's extra. And so like that's part, I think, part of the challenge with with alcohol is that it's in in food for that matter. It's so Mm -hmm. tied into the social aspect and the fellowship aspect. And those are good things. And then when when they start going awry, it's still a good thing in and of itself. (laughs) But like, how do you how do you extricate it without extricating the the social side of it? That's what makes it complicated. But in our in our lives, the the people stuff are are where all the, the joy is. And that's because of what you know, because God has given us those people. Mm-hmm. So alcohol yeah. is, is nice, but it's it's extra. <laughs> See, you said what I said, only you said it's so much better. Bless <laughs> <laughs> you, my friend. <laughs> She's not with four and a half cups of coffee, though. That's what it is. Well, bring us home, Sarah. Oh, boy. I don't think I have anything better to say than what all of y'all have said already. But I am glad that we had this conversation. Like I said at the beginning, I'm still glad <laughs> an hour later that, that we had this conversation because it is something that probably affects um, most of us in some way, if not somewhat tangentially. I would say 100% of the people listening either drink or don't drink. Right. Mm. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that fair. would be accurate. <laughs> but it's it's a helpful thing for us to talk about, even though it is somewhat uncomfortable, can be uncomfortable. It's a good thing to keep in mind when we have our fellowship and when we go through life with with people that we know, just to have an open mind about these things and to understand our Christian freedom and combining our Christian freedom also with that call to love our neighbor and walk beside mm-hmm. those people in our lives who may or may not be struggling and you won't know that until you have you a relationship with them. <laughs> you may so, not know it even after you have a relationship correct. with them. Even then. <laughs> yep. Yeah, but to to live in Christian freedom and also to walk in love with our neighbors. So I'm going to wrap this up now that we've been talking for an hour. <laughs> Ladies, we want to know your thoughts on this topic. We know this is a this is a big topic. Lots more things that, that we could talk about. Join our group on Facebook and join in the discussion on your thoughts, your opinions, uh, your own life experiences with all of that. We'd love to know that. Find us in the Lutheran Ladies Lounge on Facebook. We're also on Instagram at Lutheran Ladies Lounge. You can follow us there and share your thoughts with us. If you're not on social media or if you like getting Lutheran Ladies Lounge in your inbox, you can get our e-newsletter. If you go to the show notes for this episode or you go to kfuo.org slash Lutheran Ladies Lounge, you can find the link there to sign up for the e-newsletter. You can also email us directly at lutheranladies at kfuo.org. That email goes to all four of us. If you want to share your thoughts with us there, you can do that as well. Find all of our podcasts at kfuo.org slash Lutheran Ladies Lounge or on the KFUO radio app or on your favorite podcasting app. You're listening to the Lutheran Ladies Lounge podcast. I'm Sarah. I'm Erin. I'm Bree. And I'm Rachel. KFUO radio and the Lutheran Ladies Lounge podcast are underwritten in part by Ad Crusum. Visit them online at adcrucem.com. Views and opinions expressed on the Lutheran Ladies Lounge podcast may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO Radio, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. The Lutheran Ladies Lounge is produced by KFUO Radio and available at kfuo.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Join our community on Facebook in the Lutheran Ladies Lounge. And... The other uh, 
I I just blanked out. Hold on. I just forgot words. 